You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. You've all sacrificed so much to be here. To be a part of this. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission to go this far into our galaxy. You're making history. Everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work and your courage. I just want to say I couldn't pick a better bunch of jerks to get marooned on a distant planet with. <laughs> so, um, to the Covenant! To the Covenant! everybody and welcome once again to Geekfest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today I am going to be joined by Kyle Perone who's going to help me review and kind of take apart Alien Covenant. We recently saw it, had a good time. Boy, do we have a lot of questions, a lot of theories. You know, you thought that, you know, by our last episode we already had enough questions to have to worry about. Man, do we have so many more questions now. But overall we had a great time watching it and we can't wait to see the next one. Then following that, I am going to talk about the latest Blade Runner 2049 trailer that they put out. It is just so damn good that I have to examine it shot by shot, pretty much, and also try to come up with some theories of where I think they might be going with this film. From what I've seen, it looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. So let's get started with today's show. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. All right, today's movie that we just recently watched was Alien Covenant. Kyle and I went to a Friday night showing. I would say it was about half full. It wasn't that crowded. We were one of the first ones there, as usual. This particular film, uh, we were first uh, a little confused. We weren't sure if it was a 3D film or not, like the Prometheus film that was shot in 3D. But no, this one was just a regular film. I believe it was in IMAX in certain theaters. We saw it at one of our local theaters here, which had a pretty nice big screen. But at first, you know, we always tell you technical issue uh, stories when it comes to some of these movies. At first, we got a little scared because we're starting to watch not even the trailers. We were just watching the the pre-trailer 
advertisement, you know, like slideshow that they put on. And I started to notice something. And then Kyle mentioned it. And what did, what was it that you saw? Yeah. When they first started, it was like the entire screen was just static for like a couple minutes. Right. And then. Yeah. There was like a frozen yeah, image yeah. of static from the digital projection. Yeah, and, and it was like flickering. And the guy who was cleaning the, the, the yeah, theater, he's, he's like, like a, he's like, oh, this isn't good. This might delay the start of the film. And we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> but then they started doing everything like normal, but the only thing was that there was a lot of like light flicker that you could see. Like if you look closely, it's there. Yeah, and the way that you, that you were able to see it is on static, very like wide images, for example. You would notice yeah. that the white would get a little darker and a little brighter and a little darker and a little brighter, like sporadically. When they were playing trailers, you almost didn't notice it because trailers are usually, you know, the color ranges everywhere and the darkness, brightness, yeah. it goes all over the place. And by the time they, the movie started, I honestly didn't notice it. It might have been happening. But again, because of the nature of the films that we watch, you know, you don't, we don't watch a lot of films that are just one static shot for like 30 seconds. And then you start to notice little things here that no, it was gone. So we were like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, great. Am I going to have to get up here in the middle of this movie and go complain? It's like, you never want to be the one, the guy that gets up and complains about something because usually it ends up with, all right, sir, we'll refund you your money. And that's, you know, you're like, oh, so what do I do now? So luckily it didn't manifest into anything bad. So let's, Let's talk about the movie now. We've been pre-talking about this for a while now. I mean, we've been talking about this since Prometheus came out, and we had so many questions after Prometheus. And even up to our last show, I was uh, theorizing on where are we going to go with this, and how are they going to approach certain things. And the movie starts off with a, I guess you could call it a flashback, if you will. I mean, nobody's specifically remembering an event from earlier. I guess the audience is witnessing an event from earlier, and that is David being brought online, basically. He's in a big big old white room, which is, again, I was terrified. Oh, my God, the room is white. Am I going to see Flicker? And he's there with Waylon, and he's kind of asking questions back and forth. And right off the bat, he is having a somewhat of a disappointment reaction to what he's talking to Waylon about because he kind of understands that he is better than him. And, you know, they have very philosophical conversations about, you know, man and the creator and this and that. And even though he kind of understands that he is much more special to Waylon, he, he basically he, he thinks of him as a son to him. Waylon kind of ends that conversation with him telling him to go get him tea. In other words, he's re he's reminding him that he is basically a slave to him, to the master. The master being Waylon, the master being humans. So this was put on in the beginning of the film, I'm pretty sure, to kind of give you that idea that there's a guy walking around here, uh, an android, with a grudge. And it's the same android from before that we saw, you know, and Prometheus, the guy that more or less survives until the end. We do have a little bit of a background. We mentioned it on the last episode with the prologue video that, you know, we talked about how David is narrating, you know, here's what's been happening since you last saw me, pretty much, type of narration about them, you know, him and Shaw reaching the, the planet, her going into hypersleep, and he's there at the edge of the planet with all the engineer-type looking guys down there, and he's got all his, uh, his, his black goo bombs ready, you know, what looks like to be deployed on this population. So the movie begins with, you're introduced to the fact that you have a crew being woken up from hypersleep and 
Walter now, not David, Walter, which is a droid that looks just like David, is assisting in the waking up of everybody of the crew, not the cargo. The cargo is apparently something like 2,000 colonists, all of them asleep, and a whole bunch of also embryos, human embryos, you know, ready for colonizing a planet that they're heading towards. The crew gets woken up early because there seems to be either a malfunction or something's happening. They realize what's what what had taken place is that uh, some kind of neutrino exploded and released all this energy that was damaging like the solar sails on the ship that was collecting energy. So as a result of that explosion of energy, the ship has to kind of stop and get repaired. Unfortunately, in the process, some of the sleep chambers are damaged. One of them, specifically the captain of the ship, which is James Franco, which if you watch just the film, you get almost nothing of him because you basically see him burn alive in in a cryopod. If you watch some of the previous footage, some of the previous prologue footage and and the other stuff they put out before, the, the, the one called The Last Supper, where you kind of meet the crew, that's one where you get to see a little more of him and you get to develop a little more of the interactions. And that's something that when I think about it, it's like, I wonder if this was shot originally as part of the movie. And as usual, when they end up with so much footage... They have to cut it out. Yeah. And this way they were able to give it to us. They basically gave us deleted footage as a marketing video, if you will. Yeah, I I feel like for promotional purposes. The the prologue that we saw with David and Shaw, the where they're getting away from from the the planet, that had to have been included in the movie at first, but then they must have cut it out for time. Yeah, for time they they go crazy. I mean part of part of that those shots were in the movie, but they a cut few, out. not all of them. Yeah, just the Most end. Most of the, the, the yeah. Shaw shots were not. No. The David shots of the the, the pathogen being released, that yes. was in it. But yeah, I mean, they do shoot. I mean, the movie was two hours and I think 12 minutes. So yeah. you figure they must have shot close to maybe two and a half at least, two and three quarter hours worth of stuff. And then yeah. they, they trim it and trim it and trim it. So, I mean, I don't mind. It's okay. I mean, it's another way of seeing extra footage. Some of that other footage that, that was released, again, the Last Supper stuff, which is the pre-hypersleep, where you do meet the captain of the ship, James Franco, and he's kind of feeling sick, and he even mentions, he's like, oh, I'm burning up, and it's like, oh, burning up, I get it, burning up, because later on he's going to yeah. burn up. Uh, so, and you do also, I remember in, in, in those promotional videos, you also see the chemistry. You actually get to see the couples. The actual pairing up of all these, not the colonists, but the crew. You see that these two are an item, and these two are husband and wife, and these two, and these, you know. You get to see more of that that you didn't get to see here. Uh, Later in the film, as things start to get crazy, you know, you start losing characters left and right. It's not as emotionally impacting as it would i think yeah if you would have seen this relationship yeah because i feel like like they because they cut that scene out then they don't really have a scene that explains that except for like oh she's died oh wait that happens to be his or his wife right and yeah and and we'll go over this in, in a little bit because there were certain scenes where i was convinced this was this guy's wife and it wasn't. It was that other guy's wife, but I was, oh, I, I forgot whose yeah. wife it is. So anyway, they come out of hypersleep, and they, like I said, they lose the captain. They lose a couple of the colonists themselves. Some of those uh, pods get uh, damaged. The new captain now is, this, I guess, the second in command is the new captain. And you do get the feeling that this is a captain that they really don't like that much. The guy's not very sure of himself. He kind of reminds me a little bit of an alien's. 
uh, Gorman, the character of Gorman, the guy yes. that's in charge after half the Marines get killed and he kind of doesn't know what to do. He kind of reminds me of that character a little bit. So in the process of repairing the part of that solar sail, that sail that gives them power, you know, because collecting energy from the sun, Danny McBride's character is out there in a space suit, you know, doing the, the repairs. And all of a sudden he receives, while he's out there, he starts to get little flashes of some kind of a incoming message that is not coming from the ship. So when they finally get him back inside and the ship is repaired and functional again, and they can get back on their trip to, oh, by the way, did I mention, this is a colonizing <laughs> expedition. They're supposed to be going to this planet called Uruguay 6, way, way out there. They're supposed to be sleeping for a very long time to get there. So they uh, take off his helmet and they put the helmet down. It's, it's a cool little sequence. It's a little reminiscent of the Prometheus when they're examining the, the helmet of the, uh, of the engineer. And they have that table, those tables that are three-dimensional tables that do a whole bunch of weird stuff. So what they get out of the helmet is they start to kind of decipher an incoming message. And it's very hard to tell what it is. It's a, it's a holographic audio message. And little by little, they're able to pick out that there appears to be a person saying or singing something and McBride's character is called Tennessee he says hey that's uh John Denver's take me home song that she's singing and you know we're thinking she's singing you know could this be Shaw and one of the promotional trailers they're playing the song take me home by John Denver and so you kind of okay I get it you know maybe your average audience don't get it, but I get it. You know, there's a connection there that's being thrown at us. The other thing, uh, which is kind of a little side story here, is uh, that where I work, there's a group uh, that meets there regularly and they play music uh, in banjos. They're all banjo players. And one of the songs they play every week is Take Me Home. So I know what's going to happen now. Every time I hear that song, <laughs> I'm going to be thinking of this movie. So... It's a bizarre little connection that I'm going to be making personally now in a weekly basis, on a weekly basis. So the question then becomes, what do they do now? The new captain, again, who's very squirrely and indecisive and, and he doesn't think anybody likes him and nobody, really, a lot of people really don't like him. He decides that maybe they should, instead of going to this other planet, they should maybe make a stop at wherever this transmission's coming from you know, kind of turn it into a rescue mission to see if there is a person that was stranded, you know, somewhere for some reason. Some of the other people are not too hot about it. Daniels, the real lead of the movie in a way, co-lead, I guess you could call her. She is the uh, the wife of uh, James Franco, and now she's a widow. She is not too crazy about it because she's like, you know, that's not our mission. Our mission is to get these people there. And he kind of outranks her now, so he makes the decision, no, we're going to go see what's going on here and we're going to do it. So, fine. They have to now kind of change gears, get ready to get to this planet. So they start flying towards there, and then when they get there, they realize that it's a very high, stormy kind of atmosphere. So they, the ship itself that they're traveling on cannot get too close to it. They're going to go explore with a dropship because when they're looking at this planet, they're noticing that it it looks like a habitable planet. It looks like it's got the right conditions for colonizing. Now, whether they are allowed to make that decision is a whole other world, which I don't know if if it makes sense. You know, you're on this mission, this this bazillion dollar you know spaceship and and plan, and then for your captain to say, "Hey guys, I like that planet there a lot better. Let's go over there instead." I don't know if 
if it's logical that somebody can make a decision like that. But they are going to explore that possibility. You know, they're going to see if they can rescue whoever happens to be stranded. And in the process, maybe this planet will do. So most of them get on kind of like a dropship. Again, very similar of aliens, that whole dropship scene where they're, they're going through the atmosphere with the dropship into the actual planet. And once they get past the stormy atmospheric uh, section, they, they, things kind of settle a little bit. It's still a pretty cloudy, you know, uh, not very sunny, bright, cheery looking place, but it's much better definitely than what we saw in Prometheus. Prometheus was just a big giant rock dust bowl. This is more of like a foresty type of a, a cloudy forest environment. And they land and, you know, they're, they're armed. They have weapons. They're following the signal of wherever this, this message is coming from. And they start to kind of work their way out there. Some of them start to split up. One person stays be behind on the ship. Another two crew members kind of veer off into a little creek area to get samples of the water and this and that. The rest of them continue on to the location for where the signal's coming from. So the group that reaches something first, it's the larger group. And what they find is what looks like to be an alien ship. They climb inside of it. It's the typical, you know, you see those constructed hallways, you see the uh, engineer suits, you see all that. And one of the things they find is Shaw's ID tag hanging from the middle of the ceiling somewhere in there. So now they're kind of making a connection. This sounds like Shaw from the Prometheus mission that was uh, declared missing or something, blah, blah, blah. And at a certain point, they do reach the cockpit area of the ship where they accidentally trigger the message, you know, the holographic message, and they kind of realize this is it. This is the message that they've been hearing all, you know, all along that got them to this point. You know, in this alien ship, you can kind of see a little bit of Shaw's image, you know, in the message that was happening before. Now, as they're walking through some of these areas, one of the guys that's doing that uh, uh, sample gathering in the uh, in near the creek, they're getting samples of the water and the dirt and stuff, he steps on what appears to be some kind of plant, like a spore. And as he steps on it, it seems to excrete dust, pollen. And we get the view, like the, the, the very close-up view of this pollen kind of traveling and merging with itself and finding its way into this person's ear and going inside the ear canal and inside his body. So we know something's going on here. The other big group, they leave the big ship. They also notice that the big ship, the way that it seems to be sitting in the middle of the forest, it looks like it almost crashed into there because he, they seem to see a lot of cracked trees, giant trees, uh, that kind of give you an impression of where it came from and how it got to where it is and it's in its kind of sideways position type of thing. Now, also while... While searching the ship, another crew member gets a similar infection, spore-like infection, but this time not in the ear, goes through his nose. So you got now two crew members infected in different areas. And as the first crew member is having faster symptoms than the secondary one, they say, all right, we got to get back to the ship because this guy needs medical attention. So she starts to get him moving towards the ship. 
And then uh, the secondary group is coming out, and one guy, the guy who took the breath into you know of all that stuff, he starts to have these symptoms too. So they're kind of helping him along. He's not as bad as the other guy, but they're basically you have two groups starting to work their way back to the ship. The first group is saying, "Listen, uh, we got to get back here. We got a situation. Everybody get back. We got to go. Over, we got to figure out what's going on here." So when the first group gets to the ship, the crew member that's already there starts to treat him, you know, medically treat them. And they go into this, uh, like a med bay type of compartment in that little dropship. And all of a sudden, the guy starts having convulsions. And out of his back, something explodes and comes out and starts to attack the two other people there. One of the crew members locks, seals the door. And now you have two people caught. One is already dead because the creature exploded out of their back. The other one is pretty much almost dead because you know they're going to start fighting. And the creature is just very fast. It's very different. It's kind of like a white version of the chest buster, let's say. Very light skin, but it's very agile, very fast, and seems to be growing pretty fast as it's happening. So we're going to assume those two people are dead there. There's one person left in the ship. Everybody's now rushing back because they're hearing all this craziness going on and that third crew member is near i guess part of the loading dock of the not the loading dock but the some kind of loading section of the dropship and starts shooting at it and in the process of shooting at that creature they must hit some fuel tank or something and the whole ship just explodes the creature gets away scurries out into the wilderness uh, and as they're getting close their other group sees the explosion and they realize that they're in big trouble now because they just lost crew members and now they lost their their only way back to their main ship so as this is happening their crew member that's injured now starts to having convulsions and the creature pops out of him it seems like the creature for this particular guy you know like the first guy came out of his back the second guy seems to come out either out of his the top of his chest or his face i'm not entirely sure so now they got two of these creatures running around it's getting dark now. They're all there. You know, they have rifles, you know, these futuristic type of rifles. So they're trying to shoot these things. But these things keep coming back and, and killing some of them. And their group is getting a little smaller and a little smaller. So the rest of the crew is there fighting, you know, with these two creatures. And they get to a point where they are able to kill one of them. Like I said before, they, they lose more crew members. Walter, in the process of saving Daniels, kind of punches the creature in the face but the creature uh, eats his hand well so, no i think what what he does is he like he takes it by like the tongue or something and he rips out the tongue and the acid sprays all over his hand it's and very it fast off. how it happens because it's yeah. happening at night too so you all you know is that his arm ends up basically almost inside the mouth of the creature and the creature scurries off again you know a different the, this other creature so now they're down to one creature so as they continue to fight this last remaining creature all of a sudden Another individual shows up in this fight wearing a hood, shoots some kind of weapon in the air that causes a like a light blast that seems to blind everybody, including the creature. The creature seems to be hurt by this flash of light and the creature scurries away. This individual then leads the group back to a safe place. <laughs> in the process, they go through part of the forest and I guess they go into a what looks like to be a burned out city almost, kind of like a there's like a, a gigantic 
open space, like a like a like a city uh, plaza type of open area, and it's completely full, head to toe, with what appears to be charred bodies of some kind of humanoid-looking creatures or people all over this place, completely covered in, in people, dead. He leads them inside a building, a, a safe again, a safer environment than being outside with that creature still running around. Takes off his hood and introduces himself as David. He is the survivor of the Prometheus. He basically explains to them that, you know, they, they, they got there and uh, uh, he got there with Shaw and she has died since then and that he um, is the last survivor uh, of the group. And he, you know, they tell him, you know, we're from this other ship. We have 2,000 colonists with us. We're trying to get everybody to another planet and blah, blah, blah. So he's going to try to help them, you know, to, to figure out how to get out of that planet now because they have to figure out another way of getting out of there now that they lost their ship. He also lets them know that the way that they got there was with an alien ship, but that when they got there, they the ship accidentally released this pathogen that they were carrying, resulting in all those dead engineers outside, you know, that whole population being destroyed. Now, while this is happening, they're also trying to communicate with their main ship where Tennessee is up there. And he's freaking out, you know, he, he his wife is dead. She died in, you know. In the he window. doesn't know that yet. Yeah, they, but eventually they tell him, you know, they eventually tell him, but they're trying not to kind of break the news to him. So he wants to kind of get the main ship a little closer because the communication is so bad. They can barely speak to each other because it keeps breaking up because of all these storms. So as they're resting, let's say, the creature from earlier that survived comes back into that area and attacks one of their crew members and is in the process of kind of like eating her because these are not just like the regular alien creatures that, you know, from the past that these look different. They behave a little different. David, without anybody seeing him at first, approaches this creature and tries to actually communicate with it. And the creature seems to be responding to him. Like he's trying to tame it or become friends with it or something. And then the captain sees it happen and starts shooting at the creature and kills it. And David is not very happy about it. So the, the captain now and David are kind of like, okay, this guy knows too much and this guy wants to know more. So David kind of leads the captain to his like um, his his science room, let's say. And he starts telling him about how he's been conducting these experiments, you know, with the black goo and the whatever life forms existed on that planet before, whether you're talking about insects, mammals, whatever little life forms there were, engineers. He actually has been conducting experiments with whatever engineers survived the initial devastation that took place when those canisters were released. And then takes him to another chamber where there are all these eggs, the famous eggs that we remember from the original film. And he tells them, you know, well, this is this is also part of my experiment. You know, take a look over there. See that one over there. Egg opens up. Face hugger comes out into the captain's face. And you know what's going to happen to him. So now the captain <laughs> has a chest buster come out of him. So now we have another creature in the mix. The original two creatures are dead. But now we have... Something that looks more like what we're used to. Not exactly your final, final product, but it's looking a heck of a lot like, you know, the bad guy from Alien. And it starts to go after people. Daniels finally confronts David, and David, you get the reveal of him saying, yeah, you know, I'm the one who 
unleash the the you know the the plague on these people. I'm also the one who's been experimenting with Shaw's dead body. So it turns out that she didn't die as a result of the crash of the ship crashing. She died. We don't know exactly how, but as a result of David killing her in order to be able to use her body for medical experiments with this, you know, black goo, possibly leading to eggs being formed. You know, he might have taken part of it because they show you her body from like a, a very long, long shot on a table and it's like a dissection. You have her eviscerated basically from the waist up and all her organs are removed. So you know that he's been doing stuff with her reproductive system, with the vascular circulatory system, all you know, all the, all the organs, he's been doing stuff with it. And it's kind of like when the bad guy is finally revealing the plan before killing the hero. We're in that point of the movie. And then out of the blue comes out Walter to rescue her. And Walter and David start fighting now. There's not many left now. You have Daniels. You have two crew members now that are left. The captain's dead. The two crew members come back inside. At first, another face hugger jumps out of nowhere and attacks one of them. And gets attached to the guy's face. And then the other crew member removes him from his face. But in the process has to cut it, you know, injure it. Thereby spilling, you know, the typical acid, you know, on the face thing. The guy's face is bubbling up. But they're able to put a, like a med pack on his face to kind of stop the, the burning from happening. But the guy that helped them gets attacked by the big, <laughs> the big alien creature. So he's gone. So the other guy t- takes off. So you have, you have Daniels. You have that surviving crew member. And... David and Walter are fighting and at the you know they're both beating the crap out of each other at the end of the fight you really don't know who wins the fight they're really ready to kill each other but all of a sudden you see Walter come out of the whole area and they're all running away at the same time this is happening while up in the ship Tennessee has decided to bring his ship closer and they're going to try to because they have no more drop ships they do have a uh, like a construction ship with a crane attached to it, they're going to try to see if they can get that ship. If they can get the main ship low enough to the surface, then they can detach that secondary ship, you know, to the surface. So he's heading down on a ship to rescue them. These guys are trying to get away from that main temple area. So they're all running towards there. And the alien creature is also in the mix there far away, making a run for it too. So they're all running at the same time. They climb on the ship, the ship lands, they get in, they all get in, but the creature, again, is attached to the ship, is trying to break into the cockpit by trying to break the, uh, the windshield. Uh, Daniels goes out into the, while the ship is flying, Daniels goes out there to, to fight the creature. She's um, trying to shoot at it, and Tennessee, at the same time, is using a crane to try to trap it, and after running around somewhat, Tennessee's finally uh, capable of grabbing it in like a claw and squishing it and that's how the creature dies so now they're all okay injured but they're heading back to the main ship they get to the main ship they're exhausted a crew member that got his face acid drenched he's getting uh medical attention up there because they're still not only is tennessee there but there's two more crew members that were there with them so they were able to uh you know they're not completely alone Uh, so they're they're all kind of trying to make some repairs, some final repairs to the ship. They say they have to shut things down for a while. People are going to, you know, sleep a little bit, rest, uh, before they go into back to their hypersleep chambers to get on with their mission. Because they're down for a while and the computer is really not functioning for a while, the guy that's being attended to his face, all of a sudden we find out that he was infected somehow. There's 
different ways this could have happened. But he all of a sudden, chestburster comes out through him. Now you got another alien in the ship running around. So we're back to this again now. <laughs> everybody's on alert. Before everybody's aware this is happening, the other two crew members, they're in the shower, and all of a sudden the creature attacks them in the shower, killing off two more crew members. Now all you have left is Walter, Daniels, and Tennessee. Tennessee and Daniels are chasing the creature around, trying to trap it you know, in between sections of the ship, while Walter is kind of directing them through television monitors trying to let them know where exactly it's at. They're closing certain doors. They're trying to get the creature to go kind of close to a hangar area so they can maybe somehow push it out there. So they're able to get the creature inside one of the vehicles and they release the vehicle and the vehicle goes out and the creature jumps out at the last minute again. It's one of those cliffhangery type of things. Then they release another vehicle with spikes, kind of like a, like a construction vehicle. And then that vehicle finally gets the creature, throws it out into space, creature is out once again they're safe it's again very aliens ish that secondary fight type of um, situation so everybody's calm now there's only two of them left you know you still have a, a storage cargo full of people you know in, in cryo sleep but the crew as far as the crew goes oh you guys three people left now so walter uh, gets a tennessee into his cryo chamber he's asleep he gets daniels into her cryo chamber and she's about to go to sleep, and she mentions to him something like, are, you know, are you going to help me build the cabin that I was going to build with my husband? You know, that's from an earlier scene. You know, once they reach that area, and Walter doesn't seem to know what she's talking about. He makes a face like he doesn't understand what he's saying. And that at that second, you know, this, they seal the door of, his, of her cryo chamber, and she realizes that's not Walter, that's David. Because David had no idea what this whole lock cabin thing was about. So... Now we know that the android that came back to the ship earlier was not Walter. It was David. That scene is over. She goes to sleep. We now cut to David walking into the cargo hold where you have all the different sleeping colonists. And you have this other area where you have all these embryos, these human embryos. And he opens up one of the drawers and he seems to regurgitate two alien face hugger embryos little tiny ones that he's been carrying apparently along in his body and he places them next to the you know human ones and then he kind of walks through the ship as he's looking at all the different colonists sleeping and that's how the movie ends Are you a genre TV, film, sci-fi, horror, fantasy, toy, and convention nerd? Nerds! 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 Do you enjoy listening to podcasts? It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> Do you ever wish you could co-host a podcast? Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm, I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. This just might be your chance. Somebody help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Shut up. Geekfest Rants is looking for new co-hosts. If you're interested, go to our homepage at geekfestrants.com and click on the hosting icon for more information. So... Let's go over some of the questions that we have and the theories that we have. One of the main things that I'm going to bring up is that, you know, the last film, Prometheus, really dipped heavily into the mythology of the engineers. This film seems to shy away from that a little bit, I would say, 
because now we're getting the big picture. And the big picture is that, yes, the engineers had something to do with the creation of man back from Prometheus and that they were in the process of trying to eradicate man. But now with the introduction of David, he seems to have kind of taken over the whole notion of being able to experiment with DNA and creatures and this and that and because of this chip on his shoulder that he's developed even though he's an android because of Waylon his father his his master he wants to kill his master he wants to kill his father like he did but now he wants to go beyond that he seems to want to kill humanity because it is not a perfect organism like these new creatures that he's kind of been messing around with so i think this film starts to kind of throw us in the direction that the alien creatures that we've meet in alien Yes, they do have an origin having to do with the engineers and that sort of thing. But the specific creatures we're meeting are probably more of a result of what happened with David and Waylon. It's because of that relationship that David has gone completely off the rails and has become this madman, basically, who is experimenting with people to create these creatures. Do you get that sense? Yeah, he's just it's all the, the isolation that he's had to deal with between, like, I think it was like seven years or so with Shaw. With Shaw, was seven yeah. years, yeah. And then but another droids, couple they're years. androids. They're supposed to be able to handle that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, but since his he's a special model that has that can feel more than the other models, the newer models, then right. Even Walter it said makes that. Him, yeah, and just he can deteriorate like that. Yeah, and he, and even Walter said that, and there's a scene where the two are talking together, and he says that you know. The newer models are better because they're not as emotional. They're not as, you know, that kind of thing. So that kind of, that's where that kind of brings us. Now, the the question then becomes, okay, so why does he kill all the engineers? I think it has to do more with his father, uh, the reason he kills the engineers. Yeah. It's more of a kill your master. These guys were trying to kill you. Now I'm going to kill them. You know, bring back that to them. And it also gives him the opportunity to focus on his new priorities which are the goo he wants to experiment with this goo he wants to create his own life he's already been something that was created and he's disappointed with the creator just like the human just like whaling was disappointed with the with the engineer he's disappointed with his own master so now he wants to create his own life forms and this is what he's been experimenting with even before getting to the planet because apparently once he gets to the planet He's experimenting with the life forms in the planet. He's experimenting, like I said, with the engine, whatever engineers are left. He's dissecting them and mixing them with the goo and coming up with all kinds of creatures. Like he had them all propped up in that lab of his. And then he gets to the point where he starts experimenting with Shaw because he wants to, I guess, know what would happen when you, you know, what exactly does happen when you mix these two DNA strands together. We saw a little bit of what was happening before, but now when you, especially with Shaw, but because that brings a whole bunch of other possible answers to questions that are not being answered right now and that I asked before. Where is the egg? How do we introduce the egg cycle? We knew that the, the engineers had information on an egg cycle because we saw the murals and we saw the pictures. We didn't see them actually do it. But in this case, remember, Shaw was... A human that could not get pregnant. She was unable to get pregnant and gets pregnant because of the DNA mix. It's possible that the creation of the eggs have to do with David experimenting with her eggs 
and the alien strand, you know, the, the, the pathogen, creating these eggs. So we might not necessarily have a situation where you have an egg-laying queen type. I still don't know if Ridley Scott is acknowledging the queen yeah. from Aliens. I don't know if he's gone that far. I haven't heard any interviews. Because I feel, I feel like he should at least count Aliens because, I mean, the other two movies are awful. But Aliens was, honestly, I thought Aliens was better than Alien. No, yeah, it's, it's to me, they're, I like it more. And it's a good, it's a perfect companion to Alien. Yeah, and it fits well. Like, there's no weird, like... But, but we could yeah. kind of say in this particular scenario, if we don't have an egg-laying creature, okay, yet, we don't have one yet, it is possible that David has been experimenting with growing his own eggs from Shaw, let's say, with the creature, and then he comes up with these egg-looking things. And it is possible, too, that when you let these xenomorphs form their own communities and thrive like they did in Aliens... You know, when they get to that planet, that place is covered with them. That they do then form a hive live community like a bug where yeah. where all of a sudden a female becomes a queen. It just all and all of a sudden it starts to create eggs. So that is plausible that that would happen. But the introduction of an egg without an explanation to me leads me to Shaw and all the crazy stuff that David was doing to her and that sort of thing. A couple of more theories or questionable sections in the movie. Uh, one of them has to do with how Lope is infected. The guy that makes it all the way, you know, aboard the ship, who has a chest buster come through in the medical bay. In the movie, it is very plausible that he got infected as a result of the face hugger that gets into his face and then is quickly removed and then, you know, pours the acid into his cheek. That's a possibility. It seems a little too fast that that could have happened, but maybe it did. Another possible explanation for that could be that once Walter, which really turned out to be David, helps him into the ship, he quickly changes the gauze on his face. He removes the gauze that was put on him earlier and puts a brand new one on him. It's possible that he somehow infected him in that manner not so much with the goo because we're talking about a chest buster here but maybe with the actual creature that is at the end of a chest buster or maybe he just did it with some sort of a pathogen similar to the goo that you know quickly turns him into something that results in a creature coming out of him granted that that creature if it's anything like the spores would look different this would have to be a completely different creature so more likely something that came out of a face hugger type of thing. So it's it's a little ambiguous at this point. It could be either one. You do have the face hugger that actually got on his face, and then you have the possibility of David tampering with him again. The other uh, debatable plot point has to do with Walter and David. Most likely, it seems as if David kills Walter, most likely. We haven't seen it, but most likely. And then switches clothes you know, scars up his face, similar to, you know, what happened before, changes his voice a little bit, because he's a robot after all, he might be able to do that, and infiltrates the group in that manner. Therefore, he is also, because he's an android, he can kind of reprogram himself so he can have access to Mother, the computer system and the ship, towards the end, in order to send the message that, you know, everything's fine, we lost a few crew members, we're continuing with our mission, you know, that whole thing. But there's another theory going around that's pretty interesting too, is that when David killed Walter, he did not just change clothes, 
he actually took his body. In other words, he was able to upload his consciousness from his David body into the Walter body. Therefore, there is no need for changing clothes. There is no need for him amputating his own arm, you know, changing his face, changing his voice. And it would also make sense that because it is Walter's body, it is capable of interacting with mother without having any, you know, additional adjustments made because it is, after all, his body, except now you have David's mind inside Walter's body. So that is another interesting uh, little tidbit that it's an interesting theory that obviously it's going to have to be proven wrong or right you know, in the next couple of months until the next movie comes out. One other little item I like to point out is that on our one of our previous episodes when I was theorizing about the fact that we have Danny McBride in this film, and that was a little scary for me because it was kind of like when they announced with the King Kong, uh, the Kong movie, the Skull Island movie, that they were going to have John C. Riley as part of the cast. And after seeing him deliver a few lines in the trailer, I was like, oh no, he's going to be comic relief. Can he not be over the top? And to my surprise, he was okay. He was fine. He was the he was the comic relief for most of the movie, but he kind of kept it a little bit under control. Here, I had a similar fear that if you throw Danny McBride in this movie, all of a sudden, it's like it's Danny McBride in an alien film. It's not just another character. But again, I was also pretty surprised at the fact that he was able to kind of tamper down the Danny McBrideness out of Danny McBride. <laughs> he does get a lot of the funny lines and he is kind of playing the usual character that he plays, but he is not over the top ridiculous and uh, look at the bright side, he theoretically he made it through the movie. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen later, but in theory he makes it. So the next question becomes what happens next? There's a lot of theories going around. Now, wh- where this film would go <sighs> depends on which direction Ridley Scott goes. Let's just start off by saying that Alien Covenant was originally supposed to be called Alien Paradise Lost, and he changed the title to Covenant. And it kind of, I mean, we see the theme here. We see the religious theme here. I get it. There are reports out there that the next film is going to be called Alien Awakening, but there's also reports saying that it will be a film that takes place between Prometheus and Covenant. So, not exactly sure how we're getting to that. Not exactly sure what exactly is happening during this film. We don't know if that's exactly where he's going to go because he does have a reputation for changing, you know, gears every now and then. And at some interviews that he's given out in the past says he might want to do two, maybe three films before we reach Alien. So it all depends on how many films he ends up doing. That will determine the length of time that we're going to deal with when it comes to how many more steps does it take to get to Alien. The point is this, you have now a ship full of potential test subjects for David. He could do a lot of experiments in that ship. He's got embryos, he's got full-grown people, he's got everything he needs to go completely Dr. Frankenstein on him. But the thing is, remember, we have to get to a point in the story where we are going to be in an alien ship full of eggs in LB426, because that's the end of the story. That's where we're in Alien and Aliens world. The question then becomes, what happens with this ship? Does this ship reach its destination, Aurigai 6? Is Aurigai 6 going to turn into LV426? 6, 6, get it, maybe, who knows? Are these the colonists that end up in LV426? Is it possible that David will allow them to get there 
But then how do you explain the other ship crash landing into that planet and with a storage hull full of eggs? Doesn't explain that. The other possibility that some people are theorizing is that, well, maybe the engineers that are still out there in space go back to their home planet, find what happened, that they've been completely devastated. They figure out that it was David, you know, it was a human, and they finally trace him down somehow to this new planet where they land. In this new planet, David is already conducting crazy experiments where, let's say, most of the colonists are already been turned into hosts for a whole slew of aliens. And by the time the engineers get to this planet, they're overrun by a whole world full of alien creatures. And they then escape the planet. But in the process of escaping the planet, one of them gets in and starts laying eggs inside their ship, gets loose. And remember, in Alien, we did see that the space jockey, the pilot... They did mention that he seemed to have something that had burst from his chest. So you're talking about an engineer flying this ship. He's got a a cargo full of eggs and the thing goes off, crashes the ship into another planet. That's a possibility. But that kind of possibility leads you right to Alien. So that's the type of thing that you would leave for your final movie, depending on how many movies he makes. And again, if all of a sudden he decides he's going to make just one more movie, he's got to compress a lot of these ideas into one movie. Yeah, I don't know how he's going to make two more movies of this, you know, two or three more movies. It's it's just he's spreading it out too much. That's the thing with Ridley Scott. You know, he's got ideas, but at the end, you have to figure out what's he going to do. Is he going to do all these ideas or he's just going to do one of them or he's going to do two? You never know. And But that's what I'm saying. Once he decides what he's doing, he might have to get stuff that he was going to save for this one bring it back here, stuff that he saved from this one, bring it back here, you know, that sort of thing. Another cool thing I want to quickly mention is that, and we talked about this before, I believe, is that, and we'll talk about it a little later, with Blade Runner coming out soon, the the sequel, we've learned not too long ago that these two movies are taking place in the same universe. There was a um, bonus feature, delete, not deleted scene, but kind of like a, a graphic material that appeared, I believe, in one of the uh, Prometheus Blu-rays or something, having to do with a message or a letter from Whalen talking about how in the production of his androids, you know, he chose a certain way to go, you know, and how to manufacture them. And he talks about how he used to have a competitor. I don't know if he mentions him by name, Tyrell, but that he had different types of androids, didn't work out too well, but, but that his are better. I wonder if we're going to start to see now crossover references between movies. It would be kind of cool like, to see. Like, what if you see, like, like in Blade Runner 2049, you see, like, you know how they have, like, the Atari ads and all those other ads? What if you just see uh, an ad for uh, Wayland, Wayland and yeah. you see Guy Pierce's face on a big screen Why or not? something? That could be a good Easter yeah. egg. Oh, some people are already saying that in the trailer, which again, we're going to talk about it right after this, there's a shot of these, um, let's call them statues, maybe. And a lot of people are saying that the one on the, on the front right, it's an engineer. It looks exactly like an engineer. So it's like, ooh, that's uh, interesting. The, the weird thing is that Blade Runner World takes place years before what's happening here. Yeah, this is... So it's difficult yeah, to kind of think, cross I those two. Prometheus was like 2070 something. 2090 2090, something. 2090, yeah. 2090. The, I remember the, um, what's it called? The the Wayland, that special promo that they did for Prometheus. He's doing like a, 
like a special talk. The TED Talks. At, yeah. yeah, the TED Talk, but it's like 2022, I think it was. Well, I don't remember when it was, but yeah, it was much earlier because he looks a lot younger. Yeah, he's um, like he's like in his like maybe like late 20s, 30s, you know. Well, this also explains, and I was talking to you about this, why was it that in Prometheus, they decided to use Guy Pierce in old man makeup? And I kept saying, why would you hire an actor that is, I don't want to say super well known, but we know him a certain way. Why would you bury him in makeup why wouldn't you just grab an old actor and use him? Why would you purposely use a young actor? Well, normally when they do that, it's because they want, at some point, they're going to show him to you young, they're going to show him to you old. Well, they did show him to us young when they were doing the viral, the TED Talk type of thing. Yeah. But that's not part of the movie, really. I mean, it's, it's canon, I understand that. But it also makes sense. In this movie, you get this flashback of him as a younger person talking to David. Yeah. So it does make sense that, you know, you could... You could do that with such foresight, you know, that you would do that uh, sort of thing. So that's kind of neat. So anyway, I liked it. I I would even say I loved it. I liked it a lot more than Prometheus. I, I, I don't know if I said a lot more because I like Prometheus a lot. And I like this one a lot too. This one kind of went where I thought it was going to go. It, it fulfilled. It was definitely more of a horror film. It had the horror film, which is the thing that most people were complaining about the last time. They, they said the last time it was too religious, too intellectual, if you will. <laughs> they wanted more action. more, And that's what you get here. You get horror. This is definitely a horror film. More in the tradition of the original. But you do get some mythology. You do get the mythology. It is entertaining. You know, you're going from one scene to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's kind of... The, the only thing that it did not do for me is surprise me. I could kind of tell where things were going. Now, part of it is, is it possible that I spoiled myself by going on the internet and seeing certain things? It's possible. That's very possible. Even the trailer, one of the biggest complaints I have is that one of the trailers showed that entire showering scene. So I knew there was going to be a showering scene in the main ship. So I knew that at a certain point, these guys are going to get back to the main ship and that things are going to go haywire at the ship, which is a very aliens, Cameron type of, you know reenactment if you will the whole thing about we finally made it out of the planet we can now relax enjoy ourselves but guess what there's another one in there so you get that whole sequence of here we go again now we're back in the ship and we're going to go through the same thing again so that was a little disappointing to me the the surprise factor to me the surprise factor wasn't there but the other three primary things were there so that i'm happy with i wish also they would have done a lot more with the engineers I kind of get the feeling, and I've, I've read some articles, that Ridley Scott is trying to change gears a little bit. In other words, when you watch Prometheus, you get the idea that he's trying to tell you something that it all has to do with these engineers. Everything has to do with the engineers. But now he's kind of shifting gears and saying, well, everything had to do with the engineers at first, but now it has to do with David. It has to do with man which is a common theme. We've seen it in Battlestar Galactica. We see it a lot of times. Saw it in Blade Runner. Man creates a slave race to make his life better. And then the slave race rises up, like in The Matrix, like in a lot of other movies. And the slave race tries to eradicate man. So that's what we have now. I think that's the direction he wants to go. We'll see where we go next time. I hope... I have a feeling that we are going to get more engineers in the future because the theories that are out there are very valid, good theories about, yeah, the engineers are going to somehow get back in the picture here because there's an engineer ship. And we know that 
you know, <laughs> we don't have one right now. So somehow the engineers are going to get back in the picture here. Uh, I strongly recommend it and can't wait uh, to now for the next few years, continue theorizing about what comes next. And hopefully we'll get another, maybe two. I know they already said, Ridley Scott claims that the Neil Bonkamp version, the the, the fifth, yeah, that's not that that's not going to happen. I don't know if that's true or not. It's a little disappointing because I knew he was going to pick it up after Aliens, which is something I'd love if somebody were to do that. But hey, whatever. You know what? I'll take what I can get, but I'm happy with these results. What about you? Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I was happy with it. Definitely. The other thing I also like was the music. This one had a lot of Jerry Goldsmith type of cues in it. Yeah, and they took a lot of cues from Prometheus, like Shaw's Well, theme. yeah, there was a lot of Prometheus, but especially for Alien fans, when you have the Jerry Goldsmith cues in there, that's really helpful because, and even the uh, even the way that you see the, the titles in the beginning, the way that the letters unfold, again, that was very Alien-ish. They, yeah. There's a lot of nods. There's a lot of nods. There's certain lines that get delivered. I remember there was the little birds that were drinking, the little fake birds that are drinking water in the in the in the table. That's right out of Alien. There's a lot of cool stuff that you can dig around and find a lot of Easter eggs, no pun intended, in this film. So definitely one not to miss. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. For our news segment here, I'd like to go over a little bit of the latest Blade Runner 2049 trailer i guess you can call it trailer number two the first one was a little bit of a teaser i would call it so uh, this would be a trailer number one it's really weird now how these days they title these things some people consider certain things a teaser some things a trailer but anyway this is the first full-blown trailer let's call it for the movie which is not coming out until october of this year and it's really fortunate i think for us to be able to already see so much of it off the bat, don't remember exactly how much we talked about the, the teaser. The teaser was awesome. I mean, and it gave us a slight feel, sounds and visuals, just amazing. And here, you know, right off the bat, like I said, we have a world that we are very familiar with. First shot we get, what looks like to be, I would imagine, the Tyrell building <laughs> or a Tyrell building looking structure. Uh, and it is so classic Blade Runner. The look of the horizon, you know, the the dark, cloudy, uh, smog-filled night with all these buildings popping in the background and the massive, again, Tyrell structure in the foreground. It's just so indicative of the original film. It kind of puts you back, you know, right there where you left off. Even though this takes place 30 years later, uh, if you guys remember, the original film was 2019. Uh, so it's it's kind of, you know, it kind of makes sense in terms of obviously you have Harrison Ford in this film. And, you know, he is older. So he is looking about 30-ish, 30 plus years older, which makes perfect sense. 
you do see then a uh, a spinner that seems to be driving in between two massive building displays and they have the huge atari logo on it which is like oh my god this is just so perfect how they're continuing in this world uh, i guess atari <laughs> has flourished beyond the 80s and is uh, i guess a massive advertiser in the you know 30 years after the fact and again i can't tell from that shot whether the spinner is flying in between two buildings or driving through a street like it's a little hard to tell it's a very fast fast shot then you have a super wide shot a very kubrick uh, kind of shot it's all about the architecture, very long, long shot of what to me would I would imagine it's the inside of the Tyrell building because that kind of design and that kind of lighting, the very orange, you know, sunrise or maybe sunset kind of scenario, probably a sunset, that kind of blaring orange in the, on the walls um, gives you that feeling. And you do get a, a shot of Ryan Gosling's character being kind of like he's taking a tour of, I think, the Tyrell facility. And you do see all these different, what might be either statues or maybe they're early robotic models encased in glass, almost as a display area. And he's kind of touring and looking at all these different versions of these humanoid-looking characters it is possible that a lot of these are much bigger or maybe the perspective is so weird that they look much bigger much taller than regular humans and you do get a narrative in the background which is i believe it's jared leto and he looks weird he looks he's got a full beard he seems to have a light at the edge of his neck and at a certain point we actually see his eyes one of his eyes at least looks a little different the coloring is a little off so he is definitely something different and he's talking about how humanity has built their empires like on the back of some kind of disposable race throughout history and I, he is alluding i think at this point that he's talking about robots now androids that they are humanity seems to be making another push forward in technology and expansion and power at the expense of these androids as he's narrating this, still in one of these orange-ish kind of settings, not sure if Ryan Gosling is witnessing this or this is a completely separate scene in the movie, we see what appears to be, I'm going to guess, an android being delivered almost through a bag uh, full of fluid from the um, ceiling of a very large uh, room and kind of dropped into the ground, all soaking wet with whatever fluids it is that these androids are cooking in. And as the android comes off the bag, he is uh, kind of welcoming, saying happy birthday to this, what appears to be a female version of an android. Really creepy the way he's delivering his lines. Very reminiscent of Roy Batty narrative in the original film. Then you have another, a new narrative kicks in of what appears to be, again, maybe Ryan Gosling's boss. Uh, I think it's played by Robin Wright. And she's telling him about how there's a certain order to things. And as you're listening to her narrative, you're seeing Ryan walking through the streets and you have one of these gigantic, what looks like to be a, one of these garbage trucks passing by, very smoky looking setting, dark, neon up high, smog and smoke and everything that, you know, the, the pollution is just all over the place, it appears to be. Super, super callbacks to the original 
Then you get to see what, again, might be the police building where he's actually having this meeting with his boss, let's say. And again, it's still within the confines of the original designs of what it would look like. And you do see some spinners actually flying in and out of that area. And she's talking to him about how, you know, their job is to kind of keep order, to keep things the way they should be, you know, kind of. And you do get some quick little images of him holding the traditional Blade Runner gun and his face is all bloody, obviously from a different scene later in the movie. Her narrative continues into this that same speech talking about how the world, you know, you have certain walls that are built on this world and everybody's supposed to stay on their sides of the wall. And when that wall comes down, that's when you have chaos. Very prophetic, almost fascist type of, of a message. Very appropriate, especially for these times. Uh, you do see a little more of the city. You see the giant holographic projections with all the Chinese characters and all these different world influences that are happening in this city at this point, similar to the original film. We have him walking through the streets again with all the neon. These are some of these little snippets were shown on the teaser where they first kind of got us, you know, we got our heads up that this was coming. We got shots of him, what appears to be on top of a building, meeting a girl, and she seems to be a little weird. Not sure if it's the girl that we saw being born in the beginning, you know, through that robotic fluid sack. Then we have a new, completely new shot. It seems to be a, an area that is outside the city. It is daytime, but the day, there is no blue skies anywhere. The sky is just plain orange. It's orange everywhere, dust everywhere. You can barely see more than 20 feet ahead of you. And he is he seems to be pulling up into some abandoned buildings. And there's these weird structures with these women-looking statue faces kind of facing each other. Kind of, a little reminiscent to me of Clockwork Orange. That kind of overly dramatic, kind of very Eastern European Cold War. You know, you're talking uh, very German-Hungarian kind of structures. And the narrative then changes again, and now you have Harrison Ford kind of saying that, you know, you're a cop, I used to be a cop, I used to be really good at my job. He's walking into this, it almost looks like a library type of building, or maybe it's an old police station type of building, because, uh, you know, if you remember the previous one, that's kind of what it looked like. Again, the color palette is completely different, everything is washed in orange. Beautiful looking, beautiful looking, a lot of these shots we did see again on the teaser, and as he's walking in, he seems to be avoiding a booby trap. Harrison Ford, Decker, asks him what does he want, and he says he wants to ask some questions. At this point, we don't know exactly what the problem is. Where is the issue? What is the plot of this film? All we know so far is that we're in this world, and there seems to be some kind of situation going on, similar to the first, where one man has been chosen to go investigate something. So... We're there. We're in this world now. I have to also mention that while this is playing, they're playing very, very similar Blade Runner-ish, the original Vangelis type of music. It is just super, super permeating everything around you. You're, it's a visual experience as well as an auditory experience. It's similar to, I would say, just based on this stupid little trailer... Tron Legacy. The music to me in this trailer is at least a third of what we're experiencing. Not sure how much of it they can keep. I know this is a different director. The director for this film is the man who made The Arrival. His name is Dennis Villavenier. 
The Arrival was an excellent film. Again, from what I'm seeing so far, he's nailing it. He's getting it, at least the visuals and the music, the sound, the feel. Let's see what happens with the story, which is the most important part of all this. But the music, I know he's also using a different composer. So I don't know how much of a mix we're going to get between the old and whatever the new is going to be. I can only hope for the best. Then what we get is a series of more quicker shots, let's say, of different environments, different settings. We see a spinner flying through the ocean. It appears to be some kind of body of water, and it's darkish. We see quick shots of Goslin looking through the inside of a spinner at the reflections coming off of all the billboards in the street. Again, very traditional Blade Runner looking stuff. We get more shots of him interacting with people in the streets, being inside. Again, more of Tyrell looking environments. And then we actually get some conflict, if you will. Shots being exchanged between a female character that seems to be working for Jared Leto and possibly Goslin, you know, exchanging gunfire with the, you know, the traditional Blade Runner looking weapons. We get also a return to the Harrison Ford introductory scene where he says they know you're here and it appears that somebody is coming after both of them maybe or just him, explosions everywhere, fighting. We get a shot of what might be undercover android prostitutes kind of interacting with Goslin. We do get a shot of De Bautista's character. He seems to be the big, big thuggish type of <laughs> character here. And him, I think, fighting with Gosling and kind of pushing both of them through a wall. More fighting, more of the entertainment of the city, the nightclubs, the borderline pornography that is being pumped into all these holographic images around the city, around the neon displays, the LED displays on the sides of buildings and stuff like that, interacting with three-dimensional gigantic holographic images. There are a couple of quick shots of what appears to be a forest and a door opening up out of nowhere, which kind of leads me to believe it might be more of a holographic room that generates the look of a forest it's not it doesn't seem to be real to me and at a certain point at the end of this fast montage which i might also include has what appears to be new music it's not traditional blade runner music it's a more modern actiony music you do get a close-up of an eye kind of opening up kind of like a green or bluish tint to the eye so i'm not sure exactly who it belongs to it might be jared leto i don't know and then you have a shot of a girl telling Ryan Gosling, looks like she's being either interrogated or hidden or something like that, telling him that he is special. Which is the part of this trailer that kind of reminds you of the overwhelming theme of the original one of whether or not your lead character, the person you trust the most, the person that's been put in charge of killing all these androids, might be an android himself so i think they are playing with that issue is going to come back in this film i mean harrison ford's still there decker's still there there were still questions as to whether he was one or not not as prominent in the film but more in the novel the novel was a little more what the hell is he exactly and it basically ends with her telling him that there's still a page left to be written you know having to do with what's happening here almost like there's the mystery behind the mystery type of thing. That's kind of how they end it. Which, you know, again, trailers are very well made. Sometimes they don't deliver. But this one is the one this, that this year I'm putting all my bets on. This is the one that I 
think is going to deliver. This is the one that I want to deliver the most out of everything happening this year, just because it nails it so well exactly what that world was like. Can they replicate it, no pun intended, on this version? Ridley Scott is not directing. He's the executive producer, so... It's good that at least they have his blessing and his participation on it. Granted, not as a director, but it almost feels like you have the ingredients to make this cake. You have your Harrison Ford. You have your brand new hotshot director. You have the backing of the old creator of this film himself. The music seems to be kind of right. The look is there. What happens next? The story. It's going to be all about the story here. You cannot just replicate the story. Here we go again, no pun intended. The original story was about a band of replicants that did not want to basically do their thing. They wanted to escape from their kind of slavery type of environment, no matter what their job was assigned to be. Plus, they also wanted to live beyond their predetermined amount of time. Here they're going to have to kind of up the ante a little bit. You can't just do a story about six replicants that want to live longer and want to kind of break out from whatever they are. No. This one, from some of those lines that are delivering, it kind of almost hints to me that they're looking more at a revolution type of scenario. Uh, Maybe there's a replicant leader, Jared Leto, who is uh, not only looking to free a handful of his subjects, his co-androids, but maybe he's trying to start an uprising, you know, a worldwide, galaxy-wide uprising. So something tells me it's going to be more in that direction. That would kind of up, you know, bring up the stakes a little more, up the stakes. So That's where I think story-wise we might be going. This is trailer number two, like I mentioned before. I'm pretty sure there's probably going to be at least another one, maybe even a third one, you know, beyond two and three, four, because the movie's not coming out till October. So this is a pretty hefty, hefty trailer to give us uh, so early in the game. So only time will tell, and we'll keep you updated. All right, well, this brings us to the end of today's show. I'd like to thank Kyle for joining me and helping me uh, go over Alien Covenant. I hope you guys also enjoyed our Blade Runner 2049 trailer review I just did. And as soon as we have more information, we'll let you know. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you here next time at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war.
shot once. I was good at it. I know. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. Okay, to the future. It's finally unearthed. Bring it to me. They know you're here. told you you're special your story isn't over yet there's still a page left If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2017.